Morning. Anybody out there? Oh, yeah. All right, good. All right. Well, my name's Colby. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar. If this is your first time with us, we're happy that you've taken this first Sunday after Christmas in Iceland. We call it the second day of Christmas to uh, join up with us uh, for worship. And I'm thankful for the worship team, the extra effort this weekend with extra services and all the time that they've put in. Grateful for all the folks who participate in that. Uh, why don't you take out your Bibles, turn to the familiar words of Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can take out your phone, look it up on there as long as you're not texting and surfing social media while the sermon's going on. Uh, but I, I think it'd be great if you have something open where you can follow along with what's going on. And I'm just going to read the first seven verses of the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to see what the Lord has to say through it to us today. Chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. Lord, we thank you for your word, and as we give focus to it this morning, Lord, we believe it has power. Lord, as we gather to hear you speak to us through it, to help us remember the significance of your divine promise that is given to us in the birth of Jesus, we pray that you would tune our ears in a special way today to hear Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts? Lord, make us open to the ways in which you want to transform us and speak into our circumstances. In Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking about how travel can create chaos in our lives at times uh, this week. Maybe some of you have memories of wild inconveniences or travel experiences you've had that brought unexpected circumstances. One year, some Christmas travels found Annie and I trying to share a beanbag as our only bedding. It's a true story. Another time I can remember one of our girls who was a small toddler at the time did not particularly want to sleep in the same room as us while we were traveling and cried most of the night to the point that some family members were wondering if we could do something to quiet her down. You know, because every parent whose child is crying in the middle of the night is reserving their best moves for later, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, you just never know what things are going to happen when you travel, do, they, do you? When I was growing up with my family, I have this memory of our hotel reservations getting canceled while we were on a family trip. You feel totally helpless, and this was in the days before the internet. You know, this is, we didn't have a phone. You didn't find hotels by pulling up Hotwire to get another one. You had to drive around and locate them. 
You had to find them, and then when you got there, you weren't sure if you could get a room or how much they were going to charge you. And if you had desperation in your eyes, you were afraid you were going to pay double. And we must have stopped at 10 or 12 hotels that night as the evening wore on, all of which were full, till we finally found Trotter's Motel. And it was as beautiful as it sounds. My one night at Trotter's, I have never forgotten. It was sort of like a health hazard in that place. Travel's just one of the ways, though, isn't it, that we experience circumstances that feel like they are way beyond our control at times. And some of you are like, maybe you're in the midst of experiencing that right now on this beautiful holiday season. Life is full of moments like that, that where the circumstances that we thought were predictable are just way out of our control, aren't they? It's full of moments like that. And interestingly, the birth of Jesus is set in inconvenient, yet very significant circumstances. If we pay close attention to how Luke narrates the birth of Jesus this morning, in this passage, we can discover that the circumstances of Jesus' birth transform the circumstances of his people. Let me say that another way, that the circumstances of Jesus' birth transform the way we can begin to see the circumstances of our own lives. And, you know, travel, travel circumstances may be funny, but i got to imagine that uh, even on a day like today, some of you come in with burdensome circumstances. You come in with circumstances that you're facing in your life right now that, that, that create anxiety that you struggle to be able to communicate. You feel out of control. You get the sense that the things that you expected and planned just aren't going to come to pass. And maybe this morning, what you need to see and be reminded of in the birth of Christ, that, that the, the entrance of Christ into the world says something powerful about our circumstances and about God's activity in the midst of them. I want us to see three ways that this passage is going to teach us to embrace God's rule and sovereign work in the midst of our circumstances. His saving work that can transform not just our eternity, but also can transform the moments that we walk through. And we see it in a couple of significant ways. And let me just point you to the first one in verses 1 through 5. We're going to see this worked out. But the birth of Jesus, I want you to see that the birth of Jesus impacts real circumstances. Real circumstances. It says at the beginning there, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. Most of you, if I said, who is Caesar Augustus? You can maybe come up with some like small historical facts about the guy. But you're mostly going to just say, isn't he just the side character in Jesus' birth? That's Caesar Augustus. There is, listen, I want to say, there's nothing interesting about this passage if it isn't actually rooted in real historical circumstances. And we don't gather together to talk about a theoretical God who theoretically might be able to help you if you theoretically embrace 
you know, the importance of him in your life. He might be able to just change your own perceptions. That's not the God we come to proclaim. We talk about the real God who stepped into history in the birth of Jesus. And we know when that history was. He stepped into history in the time of Caesar Augustus. Luke marks it out so that we wouldn't forget that this is about Jesus entering reality, our reality, not just a theoretical birth. Not just a theoretical story. Through Luke 1 and 2, all the way through the birth scenes of Jesus, Luke gives us historical markers with incredible detail to help us see that what God is doing is intersecting with real life and real history. Here particularly, he situates the birth of Christ in the midst of this massive power move of Caesar Augustus and in relationship to the period of time when Quirinius was governor of Syria. The circumstances are real circumstances that Luke tells us in chapter 1. He's written to arrange all the details of this carefully. Now, if you do some background reading on, on this, maybe you don't know this about these scenes, you'll discover that an ocean full of ink has been, uh, been just used trying to determine the exact timing and dates and particulars about this census. You know, it was born in this time when there's this registration by Caesar when he proclaims people need to register and we know it's connected with taxation because in government all things are connected with taxation and all God's people said just making sure you guys are awake out of this one I'm gonna need a lot more help today than normal I ate a lot of food I don't normally eat yesterday not as much sleep but you've got skeptics who want to try and undermine Luke here and claim that the timing is off between when Jesus was born and when Quirinius was governor and when the census was taken by Caesar Augustus but you got to notice that Luke even cares about that the fact that Luke would talk about these people means he's talking about it in the establishment of time and he's close to the time right like he's the one there and we often have these ideas that like 2,000 years later with the limited resources somehow we're going to correct Luke and point that out when we can't even remember what we did last week most of the time right can't agree on the events that happened 15 or 20 years ago. And we're looking at these events 2,000 years ago and we're, connected, we're doing this. But Luke, in his particulars, observing the situation, he wants to make sure that we know this happened in an actual time that he's willing to stake a claim on that God did this in these circumstances, in this place. Well, like always, though, if you dig deep enough, you'll discover Luke is a more reliable guide to history uh, when he talks about history than any other source. Here's what we do know about these historical events and their connection with reality. Jesus was likely born around 3 B.C., plus or minus a year or two, all right? You know, we don't always get calendars right when we set them up. So they were like, we're going to take it from Jesus, but they missed it by a couple of years. And, and uh, he, he likely, historians believe, was born around 3 B.C., plus or minus. Caesar, Caesar Augustus, took more than one count of his people worldwide. It was a part of taxation in a, in a large, complex empire without the internet, remember? The timing of how these things worked out locally in the context of ancient communication means we would expect less, less precision in the execution of what it's going to take to get everything done and the people moving and instructed and all of this to happen for it to happen in easy, understandable timing. It takes time to get the message and prepare the people and make it happen in reality. 
But around the same time that Jesus was born, there is reference in ancient sources to a 25th anniversary census or registration that took place around the 25th year of Caesar's reign as like a celebration to count people and of course to tax and remember just how influential they had become in Rome. There are two pieces of evidence in ancient documents of this this sort of loyalty registration that took place. In Ankara, Turkey, there's an autobiography of Augustus engraved in a temple wall that associates a worldwide census with this 25th year celebration, timed right to this time. An Armenian historian mentions this sort of registration during this time frame. The Jewish historian Josephus also records such an event where there's an empire-wide registration. So listen, whether it was at this event or some, some other similar time, people were expected to go to their town and publicly commit to being registered so Caesar could tax the locales. It was really, when you zoom out, it's this whole work, it was a display of power that a guy in Rome could move the pieces that would move the population of the world. Now listen, what does this all remind us? First of all, it's rooted in reality. We're talking about Jesus being born into real circumstances. And that means something because it means that God was active in those circumstances, a real time and place to save real people. These are the circumstances that Luke wants to highlight, though, and connect us to because he wants us to remember when we're talking about this birth of Jesus, we are talking about God in the real world and not just our own perceptions. Luke wants to point us to the fact, listen, that the birth of Jesus and his presence in the world requires something from us. It requires something from us. It can't just be ignored. Listen, we cannot ignore its reality any more than we ignore gravity. We ignore its meaning and its significance to our own peril. Because God acted in Christ. Maybe more importantly for today, that's important, but... We see that these are real circumstances in another way. They're real circumstances for Joseph and Mary. I mean, this feels real to life, right? In the midst of this pregnancy, their lives are disrupted. They experience this requirement that they didn't choose, right? I mean, they're being, they're being pressed to have to do things because of other people's decisions. They make this journey that probably wasn't on their calendar. They end up in a housing or lodging situation that is less than ideal. This sounds like real life, doesn't it? We live a lot of our lives responding to circumstances that we didn't create. We live a lot of our lives adjusting ourselves to the unexpected that we often don't feel equipped to handle and can easily Get overwhelmed by it all, can't we? I would bet every person in this room in their own way is dealing with realities. Real life that is upended or is affecting plans that you had. 
Well, that's the world Jesus was born into to bring light and life to. It's real. The birth of Jesus impacts real circumstances. That's the first thing we see in this passage. But, but let, let's look at the second thing. In verse 6, we see something as well. That the birth of Jesus points us to divine circumstances. They're not just real circumstances, but they're divine ones in a special way. Notice how it says, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Now listen, the way this story is told for us to see is to see that it is actually in the midst of these sort of circumstances that God is working. What appears to simply be the power move of an emperor is something more. It's the backdrop and setting of divine activity. God is working over and above, in and through these circumstances that we're talking about. Not apart from them, but in them. Now don't miss that. God's not working apart from those circumstances. He's working in the midst of these circumstances. He's working through these circumstances. Let me show you how we see it. I think Luke wants us to see that. I don't think it's accidental that we might observe and be like, oh, look, God is doing that. Luke is purposefully writing to tell us this story about what God is doing to demonstrate the humility of Jesus and through his humility to show his power in the midst of these circumstances. Now, the way he does it is Luke uses a marker in his telling of Jesus' birth that is intended to highlight divine activity. It's not easily seen in our English translations, like the ESV that we read from this morning, but it's all throughout chapters 1 and 2 of Luke. And actually, I think it's found 59 times, this word that marks divine activity in the Gospel of Luke shows up over and over again as the writer is trying to show us who Jesus really is. Now, it's the Greek word, ageneto, and it marks the beginning of the sentence here in verse 1, actually, when it says, in those days. Maybe you remember the old-fashioned King James translation of this. It came to pass. Right? It came to pass in those days that Caesar Augustus, like all the traditional Christmas stories you hear, it came to pass. Well, that same word that begins, chapter, begins verse 1, and it came to pass, shows up in verse 6 when it says, and, they were, and while they were there, it actually, that word marks the beginning of the sentence again, again and it says, it came to pass that while they were there. And if you were to go back into chapter 1, you would see that as the circumstances are being set up, again it came to pass in verse 5. Again it came to pass in verse 8. And all throughout, if you just like look through the Greek text, you got these beginning of the sentence markers as the, thing, the events are unfolding that just say, it just so happened. That's what it means. The spirit of it is, it just so happened. Like You hear that? It's a way of, of looking at this, these, the, the unfolding of these events and say, you know, that's a coincidence. It came to pass. He uses this word over and over again as an indicator that in these, what, what could seem like otherwise normal events, there's a divine coincidence. You know, that word coincidence means that, that, that another thing is happening at the same time. It coincides. 
that while Caesar is making his decisions, that while they're moving around and finding that there's no place for them to stay and these circumstances happening, and while all of that happens, it just so happens to be the fact that God is also acting. Divine coincidences. It's, divine, it's designed to function sort of like a surprise tone where we see that there's a strange coincidence in the events of their lives. We see that in verse 1 and 6 again here. We see it all through chapter 1, as I said, and it has this spirit. It just so happened that in those days a decree went out, and then verse 6, it just so happened that while they were there, Jesus was born. just so happened, you hear it, don't you? Now, of course, it didn't just happen. These are God's divine fingerprints. Let's see, how am I going to get Joseph and Mary from Nazareth down to Bethlehem to fulfill a promise and a prophecy in an unforgettable way that communicates that despite Caesar's sense of his own power, he will just be a footnote in my story? How am I going to do that? Now, don't miss this. Because he does it in our circumstances too. He takes what looks like it will be the main theme in our circumstances. That diagnosis. The job that you didn't get. The house that fell through. The disappointing efforts to get pregnant. That person that walked out on you. Those sort of things threaten to be the main theme of our story, don't they? To mark the chapters of our lives. And what God does is he makes it the footnote when he's done accomplishing what he's doing in the story. It becomes the footnote. I think if we take anything away from celebrating the birth of Christ this morning, I would want you to see how incredibly different God sees our circumstances than we do. In these circumstances that appeared to be entirely rooted in Caesar's senses, God is simultaneously accomplishing and working out his will and delivering his greatest gift. Listen, let, let it deepen in you. Our greatest gift was delivered through the vehicle of undesirable situations, of that undesirable moment. Not despite it, in it. In many ways, you could argue, inseparable from it. Now, I want you to think about where this is going. You see, what looks like powerlessness in our eyes, I'm going to go down to Bethlehem because the real power has sent us there. What looks like powerlessness in our eyes is the display of power in God's plan. In fact, the climax of the story is no different, is it? Jesus lives with perfect obedience, pours out wisdom and power and blessing on his people. He displays the heart and compassion of God on the weak and the needy. But the pathway does not lead to glory, but a cross. There on the cross, the king of heaven, at the hands of sinful men, will be beaten, scourged, prodded up a hill, carrying a cross, fastened to it with nails, physically exposed in shame as a public spectacle and mocked for the very thought that there, this could be the king of the Jews. 
powerlessness. In man's eyes, in our eyes, the circumstances and symbols of powerlessness just abound in the cross. But there, in what looks like powerlessness, is the powerful love of God accomplishing our greatest gift. You see, there, in submission to the circumstances that were going on, Jesus' life wasn't taken. It was laid down. It's the powerlessness of surrender. Surrender. And through the surrender of Jesus to the cross, the Bible tells us that He bore our sin. That He took the shame. He took the judgment and justice that our disobedience against God deserved so that in his power he could erase what we could never erase and he could remake what we could never put back together and he could create in the midst of that moment a powerful invitation for us to receive by faith that God was acting there for you so that Every circumstance in your life could be transformed by the promise of God's love on until the most important circumstance you will ever face, which is standing before your Creator. And in His power, He changed what we are powerless to change. He changed our verdict in heaven before the judgment seat of God. So that when we were weak and unable to bring about our own forgiveness and reconciliation, to work ourselves into a relationship with God, God was acting through what looked like powerlessness to powerfully bring us home. To welcome us. To see what God has done. God was acting there to accomplish what in our moments of power we can never give ourselves. And once you see how God displays power in weakness, once you've trusted in Christ's work for you when you could not work for yourself, once you see that He is at work in circumstances that we normally wouldn't welcome, then we're able to prepare ourselves to respond to our own set of circumstances. See a third thing. That the birth of Jesus invites us to respond to our circumstances. Verse 7, I love the simplicity of verse 7. The focus of these words, come back to Mary. And in the Gospel of Luke, Mary in these early chapters is a model of discipleship. In these early chapters, as she receives the circumstances that God has called her to. And so the focus here returns to her. It says, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger. What's happening in here? We see her taking these circumstances, receiving what has been born into her life, and creating a welcome reception with what she has before her. It's an unforgettable scene at this point for us, isn't it? She swaddles him up, uses the feeding trough as a crib, 
makes an animal feeding trough a place of comfort for God's gift. The ESV says that these were the conditions because there was no place for them in the inn. There was no place for them. Now, people often make a big deal about trying to determine what the details were here. Here's their travel experience. Notice that Luke either assumes we would know what it was like to travel in those days, or he doesn't think it's all that important. There weren't hotels, so that's certainly not what he meant. (laughs) Houses often had guest rooms on the upper level, and it's likely lots of people and extended family members are traveling to Bethlehem. We got this worldwide census going on. But at the end of the day, Luke wants us to see something else. He wants us to see that for all intents and purposes, there was no special room for them. He showed up right there in the middle of those circumstances. The real ones where God does his work. And oh, how he was working. You see, Mary, by attending to those moments and swaddling him and placing him there and and caring for the gift that God had brought into their lives, Mary would get a glimpse as God would send shepherds to remind her in the midst of these circumstances that this was a significant divine moment and not just an inconvenient travel experience. And through it, we, we see what it looks like for us to have our circumstances reshaped. Listen, I don't, I don't know what you're facing today and I don't know what it is that has been unexpected in your life, what disappointments you've been facing, what you feel like you haven't been able to control or get a hold of. But I do know this, that right in the middle of those circumstances, those are the kind of circumstances that God works in. And what he might be doing today is inviting you to stop fighting against those, to stop just thinking about how you can escape them, And begin to look for and ask God what he's doing. What is it? What gift might God be giving you and bringing to you today through those circumstances that you wouldn't have chosen? How is he giving birth to hope? How does he want to reshape you? How does he want to transform you? As we close, I just want to I want to ask you to reflect on two questions this morning. We're going to have a moment. We're going to pray here in a moment. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together. But I want to ask you to reflect on two questions as we close. First one is critically important. Have you welcomed the gift of God's Son into your life? Has there been a time where you, in response to what God has done to break into reality, stopped, stopped running in your own life towards your sin? and turned around and received the gift of God's promised Son as your salvation and hope. That's where a relationship with God begins. This is is the invitation into God's work that we would see Jesus' birth for what it is. God's arrival with a gift for us to be reconciled in His love, forgiven of our sin, drawn into His life, secure under His power and sovereignty that we see in display in this passage. And the question is, have you received that gift? And the way that we receive that gift is, is finally turning from our confidence being in ourselves to, by faith, believing that God has done that work for us. 
And I just wonder, you personally, are you sitting there at a point in your life where you've heard all of these things, where you know things need to change, where you know that God has been on the back burner and God has offered this gift to you and you just refuse to open it? You've just never been concerned to receive what God has offered. I just want to plead with you that today that you would not leave this place without calling on the Lord. That you would just, you know, there, there's nothing special about this place in a cafetorium in Swans Creek Elementary School. But right now that you would hear these words and see that God has chosen to meet with you and invite you to respond to the promise that your sins can be forgiven. That He desires to take up residence right there in the middle of your life. Be your Lord, your God, your hope, and your security in the midst of every circumstance. And all you have to do is turn to Him and receive in humble faith with open hands what He's come to give. Have you done that? You might say, oh, that sounds too easy. Or I'm trying other things. I'm trying to figure out how to get my life together. Listen, you can, you can talk about all the reasons. I just want to ask, have you done that? Like in your life, has there been a, a point in your life, a season, some mark in your life where you finally looked at the Lord and said, God, I've been running from your gift. But today, I just want to receive it. I, I know that I need you. I need you to come in and transform me. By faith, I believe in what Jesus has done on my behalf have you responded to that? God invites you today as you celebrate the birth of Jesus to respond to his gift. But I also want to ask you, have you been receptive to God's work in your current circumstances? And as you look at what you might be facing, have you been fighting against it, complaining about it, avoiding it, <laughs> hoping it'll pass and miss what God wants to do. Maybe today what you need to do before we go out into the rest of this week is just look at that set of circumstances in the eye and just invite God to come into them in a special way and reveal himself to you. To open your heart to what he wants to do through it. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and maybe just here for a moment in the stillness of this time, as the band gets ready to lead us and before we take the Lord's Supper, maybe you need to just take a moment right there in the quietness of your heart and respond to the Lord. I'm going to give you a moment as they prepare and then I'm going to lead us in prayer. God may be speaking to you by His Spirit about a situation in your life where you need to be reminded to receive what he wants to do in your circumstances.
Lord, we're grateful for your love for us. It secures us. It gives us confidence. It reminds us that despite our inability to control, Lord, we have a God that we can entrust ourselves to. Lord, we celebrate the birth of Christ best as we know how. Lord, we open our hearts to your good gifts and ask God that you would, by your spirit, give us insight into your will and our life, your purposes for these days and moments that we face. Lord, we celebrate your abiding love for us and your promise to make all things new. In Jesus' name, amen.